What's the future of entertainment and technology in the car? I think in many ways, it's a little bit like Henry Ford used to say, if you ask people what they want, uh, they'll say faster horses, right? <laughs> they don't know what they don't know. And it's so true because if you ask people what kind of experience you want in the car, their reference will be their phone or their home. But when you show them that an experience can be connected to what's actually happening around them, then I think it'll be a aha moment that they say, oh, wow, this is much better than what I had before. It's much more relevant. That's Bart Swearman, Here Technology's Senior Vice President Global Services and Support. And this is Talking the Drive, where the people who create what's next in the car reimagine what's possible. I'm John McLeod Rivet, CEO, and today we'll take a deep dive into what's needed to bring location to life in the connected car. Bart, you lead a global team whose mission is to help customers unlock the value of location intelligence. What types of location data is useful and what's the value of this data? Yeah, so John, we capture a significant amount of location data. We're, as you know, a, a global and the largest independent mapping company. And when we talk about maps, we mean a very rich uh, digital representation of reality across 200 countries and territories, including static content about roads, but also dynamic content about what's happening on those roads. And that data is very relevant in a number of industries and, and across a number of use cases. So, for example, uh, automotive, which I think we'll, uh, we'll be diving deeper into today, has been our core industry for, uh, for a long time, where location intelligence is very relevant in the context of navigation, but also in the context of increasingly connected services that are being deployed. Uh, but outside automotive, we're also increasingly getting into other industries like transportation, logistics, telecommunications, public sector, retail, industries where location uh, technology plays a role in driving efficiency, increasing safety, or sometimes even deploying new business models, as the case in, in ride-hailing companies, for example, that clearly depend on very accurate positioning and location intelligence to run their business. So I'm driving a car with your data. Where do I see it? And maybe more interestingly, where do I not see it in the car? If we show up in uh, in a large number of vehicles, so uh, when it comes to maps and navigation in Europe and North America, four out of five cars use uh, use here maps. So a lot of uh, a lot of people will be using here maps without uh, being conscious of that. Uh, in addition, a number of additional um, services like live traffic is something that we provide to the automotive uh, OEMs, uh, and then we have increasingly advanced driver assistance systems or ADAS which are showing up in almost all new vehicles these days and will be expanding. Uh, and in fact, is the path towards uh, highly automated driving and fully automated driving. Advanced driver assistance systems are very often powered by here as well. Uh, and then increasingly, we're starting to see primarily in Europe, where it's a regulatory requirement, intelligent speed assist or ISA. Uh, so in Europe, it is required for all new vehicles to have accurate speed limit information displayed at all times in the dashboard. So, you know, drivers are obviously very aware of the speed limit in a certain location. That can be a permanent speed limit. It can be temporary because of a construction zone, for example. And by law, that has to be 90% accurate at all times. So that's, you can imagine, is quite a challenge to be able to display accurate speed limit information that changes constantly with the construction, with, uh, you know, various other things going on. That's something you'll see. And finally, if you're lucky to have a new Mercedes S-Class, we're powering that with our our high definition live map as they've launched their level three automated uh, system this uh, this year 
which is very exciting and works flawlessly, getting incredibly good reviews. So those are some of the ways that you'll see here show up in a vehicle today. What needs to happen for autonomous vehicles to become more mainstream and more accepted in the community? And also, what are the types of things that HERE is doing to really make autonomous vehicles possible? Great topic, and we could spend a lot of time on this one alone. Uh, let me start with the, your last question around, uh, you know, what would make it acceptable. This is interesting. We're finding that uh, the ADAS systems that I referred to earlier, so the advanced driver assistance systems, that customers that have that in their vehicle are much more open to autonomous driving. So if you're used to your car being able to stick to a lane or even change lanes, or automatically track the the vehicle in front of you and slow down if that's required. People that are used to that and used to their car uh, kind of uh, maneuvering on their own within certain limits, of course, in a safe way, are more open to the the notion of a fully automated vehicle. So I think that's something we're definitely seeing. People that have not done that, let's say they're driving a 20-year-old vehicle with no ADAS systems at all, they may be wary of it, right? They may say, look, that you know, machine taking over my, my car, I, you know, I don't want that to happen. So this is a process where I think ADAS helps to, uh, you know, make people much more open to that. In terms of what's necessary to get there, that's, that's a complicated one. I think we can all agree that the timelines to get to fully automated driving have shifted. You know, many years ago, there were reports that in 2020, 2021, you know, a lot of vehicles would be fully automated. Clearly, that hasn't happened. What we're seeing is that getting 95% automation is one thing, but the last 5% is difficult, more difficult than the previous 95%. So the 100% automated driving is very complex. Now, the way to get around that is to have specific zones or roads where you allow automated driving. And this is what we call road clearance. It's also a service that we can provide. So the car will detect an area where it's safe to drive autonomously. That could be, for example, the freeway. So you may drive yourself from your home to the freeway. And then on the stretch of freeway, it might drive itself for half an hour, even an hour. And then the last stretch, getting to your office or restaurant or sports club, whatever it may be, that again may be a process where you take the wheel and do it yourself. And that's increasingly, I think, where we're going, where we're starting to see stretches of road where it is possible to drive autonomously. Uh, and that, by the way, is very interesting when it comes to connected services, because the point where you can take your hands off the wheel uh, and the car drives itself obviously opens up opportunities for the driver to you know, perhaps watch video content or play a game or uh, find out information about a certain topic that may be relevant to them or may be relevant in that location, right? So they may be driving in a place they don't know and they want to get more information. So there's all sorts of implications of that. But getting back to the uh, the process of automation, it, it's a very difficult one to pull off. We are seeing, of, of course, examples of, of self-driving uh, taxis and, and ride-hailing companies uh, with robo-taxis, that's always in a confined space, a certain city. That's, you know, fairly easy to do. To do it on all types of roads, that's very complicated. I think, you know, my background is a Disney Imagineer building Disney theme parks. You know, I started my career on Epcot Center and worked with all the ride transportation systems within Disney. So I believe me, I know what a enclosed... Uh, experiences <laughs> and but but it's the right way to approach it which is to basically set up a, a use cases and build success whether it's confined to a specific area type of vehicle a type of transportation so i i actually think it's the right way to sort of move along i i'd want to 
explore one area that has come up a lot as we've been talking with companies about what it will take to get streaming and location together uh, in the car. And the number one thing I'm hearing, interestingly, is an economic issue, which is the cost of continuous cloud coverage in the car. And how can the car companies rationalize that? To go fully EV, not EV, but to go uh, AV, uh, autonomous vehicles, you need continuous cloud connection, which means the car needs to be truly connected, not just with the hardware, but with the the data plan as well. But that's an expensive proposition. I think over the life of the car, it's several thousand dollars. And consumers don't want to pay it. And the car companies are struggling to figure out how to, how to pay it. What bundle of things have to happen for the car companies to go, quote, all in on, uh, on, on data plan and connectivity? Well, clearly, there's a number of requirements for automated driving to take place. And I mentioned earlier that our HD live map, our high-definition live map powers level three automation. Uh, that's important because the car needs to be able to see around corners. It needs to know what's what's uh, up in the road ahead. Because if you rely purely on cameras or LiDAR equipment or radar, you may not have all the information needed to make split second decisions. So for example, if you have fog uh, if you have a, a sandstorm, which can happen in the Middle East, or a snowstorm, then a camera won't be able to detect exactly where the road is headed, right? So you need multiple sensors and you need the map to be able to tell you what's up ahead. By the way, that can also help with a lot of efficiency. If you know what the road ahead is, if it's going up or down, that allows you to anticipate and save fuel by, for example, slowing down if you know that the uh, there's a, a hill coming. So a number of requirements are necessary. Clearly, getting back to your question, connectivity is another one because increasingly you need to be connected uh, to deliver uh, both some of the uh, uh, infotainment and uh, navigation services as well as some of the more advanced connected services that car companies are deploying. And I would say probably have to start deploying because there's an economic need to monetize these services in order to make up for a shortfall in, you know, less spare parts. Uh, electric vehicles, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about as well, don't need a lot of spare parts. I mean, they need tires, windshield wipers, and some fluid. That's pretty much it, right? So car companies are looking for ways to get additional revenue to make up for that. And connected service, service is clearly one way to go. Now, that connectivity, I think we're all seeing the telcos move towards 5G infrastructure that allows not only for the bandwidth, but also for the latency that's required in a lot of these situations. For example, we have a a hazard warning or incident service that it tells you as a driver that there's an accident up ahead, that clearly the latency is important. You need to know that as quickly as possible so you can slow down or, or take a different route. And so 5G is going to be critical. And what we're seeing is a lot of the telcos are starting to deploy 5G around the road corridors. So at least the larger roads, the highways, the freeways, will start to get that 5G coverage in, in a lot of locations. But it is an expensive proposition. We, we know that the density of antennas you need in 5G is significantly higher than in 4G. So it's a, it's a massive investment that has to take place. And the way that this is being funded is by looking at a lot of ways to leverage uh, edge computing, both edge computing in the vehicle as well as in the 5G masts that are being deployed, which uh, uh, will power connected services for cars, but can also power a variety of other uh, use cases that the telecommunications companies can monetize. Uh, For example, uh, selling information to uh, local authorities around maintenance of roads or or other issues that may may happen. So uh, edge computing will be critical here. 
NPR reported in August that video streaming outperformed both cable and broadcast TV in the U.S. for the first time. That headline speaks for itself. In earlier Talking the Drive episodes, we talked about how streaming, audio streaming, will emerge as a dominant media platform in the car for one simple reason. It's what people want. It also is something that digital marketers are drooling over to get into the car. And it is perhaps the first time the car companies could participate big time in the financial benefits of bringing audio and entertainment and infotainment into the car. But broadcasting, particularly in the U.S., AM, FM radio still dominates listening. It it, it controls more than half of all listening and 89% of ad-supported audio in the car. How does this change and how will streaming in the car differ from other solutions, particularly video on your phone or in the home? Well, that's a uh, it's a very interesting one to uh, to to unpack. I think what's what's different, uh, the diff- one of the differences, obviously, between a car and and the home is that the car is is moving. You know, most of the time, anyway, is going somewhere, so is in a different location. So I think you know, making that experience location aware, contextually aware, I think makes it even more appealing and relevant for the drivers or passengers in the car. You know, what we're also seeing is an explosion of the, uh, the, the, you know, the, both the numbers and then size of the screens in the car. And I'm sure you've seen some of the latest electric vehicles or some of the latest models of the more traditional OEMs, massive screens often across the entire dashboard of the car. Um, so that offers obviously a lot of opportunities uh, to project information, but also to show videos. And ideally, it would be, you know, videos that are interesting or relevant or personalized. Um, they can also be videos that are you know, relevant to that location. So let's say you're driving in an unfamiliar area. It shows you information about that area. It can be, uh, you know, that can be audio content and it can be content you can read or ideally video content, which is what a lot of people prefer. There's other ways to do that as well. A lot of vehicles have head-up display. So you can, in the windshield, you can project information or even videos. You can have increasingly augmented reality being a part of that. So it'll literally show you where to go projected on top of the actual view out of the window. We're even seeing some uh, window manufacturers uh, play around with smart windows, intelligent windows that allow information to be displayed or even videos to be displayed on the side windows of the car. So passengers can literally look at the window and uh, get information. This is also particularly relevant in buses and public transformation, where uh, there's a lot of window uh, real estate that can be used for passengers to plan their route or get information. We also have a partnership with a, uh, a 3D company called Unity to develop a next generation navigation experiences in the car, very often 3D We have a lot of 3D city maps that we can use, and they can do incredibly profound things with the 3D visualization in the dashboard. Again, not the little dashboard that we're used to, but the large screens that we're now increasingly seeing in these these modern, uh, most of the time, electric vehicles. So a lot of new, uh, I think, media experiences that we're going to see around safety, information, entertainment, gaming. And a lot of that, well, I think increasingly would be video because this is what a lot of people prefer. You know, I think a lot of the uh, my generation and older will still look up something on Google and try to find out uh, information. A lot of younger people will go straight to YouTube and find out a video about a particular topic. That's often the preferred way to, to access information. So absolutely convinced that more and more video content will enter the uh, the vehicle 
and uh, and have very a variety of screens that that can be projected on. Uh, and and perhaps you know one thing to mention as well is in the context of changing media habits in the car, uh, I think going from audio to video is is obviously one change. What we're also seeing more and more is a group experience changing to an individual experience. Um, so we're used to basically playing the radio and everyone listens to the same song. And then you have arguments between the parents and the kids about which radio channel to listen to. Increasingly, everyone will have their own media experience. Uh, you know, often with a with a headset on, you'll be able to have, you know, your personalized uh, audio and video experience. If you're a passenger driver, you're in the back seat. And I think that that variety of experiences in the same vehicle is something that will also become very much commonplace. Earlier episodes of Talking the Drive, we talked about combining streaming with location. It's a little bit like Reese's peanut butter cups, peanut butter and chocolate. Who would have thought that tasted good? But maybe location and streaming is just such a combination. And part of the reason we think it's critical is that we believe that location is actually the magic that has the potential to keep passengers and drivers engaged the entire length of their journey. As you know, in the US, people spend about an hour a day in the car. That's 350 million hours a day that are essentially wasted from a entertainment infotainment perspective. And certainly the car companies are getting no benefit from it. So that's one of the thesis that, that we have. Is it a pipe dream? Is it possible? Is it gonna happen? And who are the players who are gonna, gonna make all this happen? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, to start with the last part, the players, uh, you know, I think clearly the automotive OEMs are are going to be very critical here. I mean, their customers are demanding much better uh, infotainment and, and uh, in-car experiences. It's a very significant uh, element in any purchasing decision of a new vehicle these days. Uh, so it's not just about horsepower and acceleration or efficiency. It's also very much about, you know, the infotainment system that decides which car is is purchased. Uh, but I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the OEMs uh, have significant uh, revenue loss as a result of the shift to electric vehicles, uh, lower sales of spare parts. So they need to create and monetize differentiated experiences. And, you know, increasingly they are moving in that direction. You know, we all know the Hey Mercedes or Hey BMW or Hey Lexus, you know, the, the sort of uh, virtual assistant that many of them are deploying. And by the way, that's, I think, another trend that we're definitely seeing is more and more voice-activated interface with the vehicle. But the OEMs are clearly see that this is a, a an, an absolutely important part of, of competing, of differentiating versus, uh, versus other car makers. Uh, customers are demanding it, and they need to be able to deploy and monetize those connected services. So OEMs are key players. Then the telecommunications companies, I mean, uh, connectivity we talked about earlier is critical. So, um, you know, the telecommunications companies have to be important members of the ecosystem. The automotive suppliers are, are clearly important. We have some of the traditional tier one suppliers, but we also have a, a lot of you know, newer players, chip companies, uh, the NVIDIAs, the Qualcomms that are building complete stacks, including location, and we partner with them to develop effectively a digital chassis for the car, right? And rather than having 100 or, or 200 ECUs in a car, having one central brain that powers the variety of use cases, whether it's advanced driver assistance systems, infotainment, navigation, the variety of use cases now powered by central systems. So that digital chassis vision or the software-defined vehicle, I mean, that's a, another big topic, I think is, is essential to uh, deliver 
delivering these uh, next generation services in a way that's efficient uh, and and high quality. So clearly those suppliers are going to be important. And finally, uh, the media companies. Uh, and I think we need uh, to, uh, to show um, passengers and drivers what's possible. I think in many ways, it's a little bit like Henry Ford used to say, if you ask people what they want, uh, they'll say faster horses, right? <laughs> And they my don't favorite, know what they don't my know. My favorite but, quote. I've used that so many times. I, I love it. And and it's so true because if you ask people what kind of experience you want in the car, they'll they'll their reference will be their phone or their home. But when you show them that an experience can be connected to what's actually happening around them, the location they're in, then I think it'll be a, a aha moment that they say, oh, wow, this is much better than what I had before because it's now, it's much more relevant. Uh, I had the, the experience this summer to spend some time in, in Yellowstone Park and, and Grand Teton National Park, which is beautiful, by the way. But I would have loved to have driving around there to have access to, you know, content, you know, uh, um, a text, audio, video to tell me more about all the, the the world around me about what I was seeing and maybe the history of some of those places and what happened there what happened before I mean I would love to see driving through the meadows you know the kind of the way it used to be with the old fur trappers and and uh, I guess the only limitation is our imagination and that's I think where the media companies and and I would include you in that John as well uh, to show us what's possible to open up you know the uh, the minds and we may well fi- well find that some things don't work right and others do it's going to be a little bit trial and error uh, but I'm sure that we can if we get these different players together and I would include ourselves as well as as one of the suppliers that delivers uh, you know that that location intelligence and uh, and map content uh, to be able to uh, you know work together to see what kind of compelling experiences we can uh, we can create. I have so many comments on what you just said. First of all, uh, Kevin Costner actually produces uh, audio travel guides, a company called Autio, A-U-T-I-O. So you can imagine he's done Yellowstone and you know, the, all the, the big parks because that's, of course, his, his big show. On the media side, you know, this is complicated. There's so many people and parts and nations and laws and constituents and how do you kind of package this so that people can just say oh i get it you know which is which is what we've struggled with when we've talked about location and streaming there are sort of two thoughts here so on the streaming side i I called it a new media streaming because it's not audio it's not radio it's not video because it is something that is appropriate for the driver cognitive loads, it's appropriate for the level of autonomous driving, and it will likely be a spectrum of things that in cars with less sophistication will be more audio, and as cars become more sophisticated, it becomes more video. And so I, I, I have tried to characterize it as a new streaming media, but I, but I don't really quite know what it is. But I do have a couple of really good business examples that are worth thinking about. You know, Rivet, after we moved on from our uh, B2C app and we started doing a lot of B2B work as a producer, but also as a technology provider for different companies and, and going after different industries, we launched a digital out-of-home network. And we had 20,000 screens in the U.S. in fast food restaurants and healthcare and things like that. And we launched it January 2020. And then everybody stayed home. And it, I mean, so that was just a crushing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what we learn from digital out of home, I actually think is really appropriate for 
thinking about car business model. You know the company JC Deco, I mean fabulous company, French company in Europe, uh, who, you know, who put ads on toilets and urban furniture and other things like that. And I'm not talking about turning the cars into, you know, driving billboards, but I kind of am in the sense of what digital marketers want is to be able to reach a person in Los Angeles in a Ford F-150. And they know that person is listening to country music and they, you know, they know the kinds of things that they can market to that person, or they want to reach a driver uh, driving a hybrid in Connecticut that, you know, they're listening to MSNBC or other kinds of things. So there's just so much value in knowing that streaming and delivering that streaming and monetizing it through, through streaming. And frankly, it's one of the few, if only ways I can think of to really monetize the data is to access that streaming, sponsorship, advertising, and subscription. But I think a lot of people want free content. So the digital out-of-home model, and in the US, the model that I think about is Captivate, where you get in the elevator. And in the elevator, there's the screen. And for that two-minute ride, you've got all kinds of news, usually traffic and weather, and ads, but the multimedia, the experience is designed just for that experience. I think that's what we're talking about is a new experience that uses location and context and what car brand there is, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's a really simple business model. If you have the service provider puts together the programming and the advertising, the sponsorships, they secure the location, which is the car brand, The car brand gets paid from the service. The car brand has input over the programming, what kind of ads can play, so they can control the experience. The advertisers go through the service provider and say, I want to be in 425 West Randolph, or I want to be in BMW 3 Series. And there are a couple of things that make this work. The first is the car companies provide the connectivity because that is an expensive nut, but that's tremendous value if they can really provide the connectivity. They also provide the data about the car and the passengers to this trusted service provider. I think it has to be a trusted service provider. I don't think there are going to be that many who can fill this role. And then in return for that value, they get paid 20, 25% of the revenue. You know, that could be a multi-billion dollar stream to the car companies. Obviously, for the service provider, it's probably a tens of billions of dollars type of a thing. And that's kind of come out of some of these podcasts and, and other thinking that some simple business model, you know, you walk into the car company and say, we're going to pay you a lot of money. <laughs> Do yeah. you want to talk? <laughs> but I, I think he's got to get to that. Yeah. No, I think it makes a lot of sense, uh, John. I mean, and, and it has to make sense for every player there, right? I mean, for the advertisers, you know, it's the old saying, right? I mean, half of, of the money in advertising is wasted. We just don't know which half, right? I mean, there's we all know that there's there's a lot of, it, it's, it's, it's a shotgun and not really a rifle. So if you can make it much more of a targeted approach to reach certain uh, segments, uh, that's obviously uh, very much beneficial for the, for the advertiser. I think for the car company, 
what they would like is to create a curated uh, experience that fits with the brand and is a premium experience relative to using your phone and going on Google, where Google sells your data and you know you get whatever advertisers uh, are going to be in your face. You'd like to, as a car company, be able to create an experience that, that fits with the brand and gives you some control over the content that's, that's being shared and the advertisements that are being shared in the vehicle. It has to make sense for the for the driver and the and the passengers as well, though increasingly we are logging into our car the way that we log onto our phone, so the car knows you know who's uh, uh, that you're driving and knows who you are, and uh, it, clearly the car companies need to make sure that that data is secure, that privacy is guaranteed. That's something that we have always very much built into every one of our products, and I know many car companies find that to be very important. But if that is is secure. Uh, getting a more personalized experience, whether it's content, but also advertising, I think is often appreciated by my customers. The uh, The movie comes to mind, Minority Report, where you know, Tom Cruise is walking past the the, the windows and they, he gets a personalized ad there, you know, targeting him as an individual is, you know, it makes perfect sense, right? It's not a random generic ad that he has to figure out if this is relevant. It's very relevant for him as a person. So the more that we can create that relevance, and again, location plays a role there. If we can also make it uh, location aware and also maybe in touch with, let's say, the seasons or, you know, the time of day or whether it's raining or sun is shining, right? You can have a lot of contextual information that can play a part in in providing the right kind of, of streaming content and advertisement. But I think, you know, it, it does definitely make sense for a lot of those players. So I can't, uh, I can definitely see that, uh, that happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, would be very uh, would be very interesting to see what kind of streaming services will become available. When CarPlay and uh, Android Auto came into the car, and now they're in every car, virtually every car, there was a lot of thinking that that was going to be the way everybody was going to consume content. But interestingly, while I would say it's been very disruptive for, for navigation, because I think the mapping app is probably the most used or one of the most valuable apps, they really have not penetrated streaming engagement and other things that much. And I think part, a big part of it is it's kind of complicated. It's not easy. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to do something embedded that could really change the tide. And, and this is where we, we get back to location being the magic, is that if there's a reason for the location to always be on because it's not just about your driving, but it's about your experience and what's around you and who you're interacting with. It's like it's like Peloton. They created these communities on a stationary exercise bike. I mean, that was pretty incredible what they did. So that so those are the kinds of things that I think we've got to figure out because I do think getting the car directly connected to the internet for autonomous driving and other things just opens so many doors for people like you and me but also for the car companies to now find new uh, revenue streams. No, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, Apple CarPlay and, and Android Auto clearly are, are um, you know, we're seeing them in a lot of vehicles and, and customers uh, like that because they can get the same experience on their phone mirrored in the car. Uh, but there's obviously some drawbacks to that as well. It can be distracting. Uh, it's not integrated with the uh, the core systems of the car. Uh, and I think there's a healthy challenge here for the, uh, the automotive OEMs uh, to create an overall experience that's better than Apple CarPlay or um, or Android. And we're, we're having a lot of them. I personally have also having a lot of these conversations with uh, car companies in the US and Europe and in, in Asia uh, to look at how they can create a better experience. Now, electric vehicles is, is an interesting development. Of course, this is one of the 
the sort sort of four big trends that are taking place in automotive, right? Case is an, an often used term, connected, automated, shared, and electric, uh, where the C and the the E are clearly moving full speed ahead, connected and electric, and the automated and and shared is is happening a little bit less quickly. But electric vehicles is is a massive trend. I mean, here in Europe, uh, huge subsidies for electric vehicles. Uh, to the point now the power grids are maxed out because we have so many people buying electric cars or leasing electric cars that it's becoming a challenge to uh, to power them. Uh, and by the way, a lot of that electricity is not yet fully green. So um, I think we need to also make sure that our renewable energy uh, has a, a pace that allows us to have truly green vehicles. Uh, but that is clearly happening. Now, when it comes to electric vehicles, the, the, the navigation um, is not a separate activity. It's connected to the battery range of your car. And if you're traveling somewhere that is a relatively long distance, you need to be able to find the optimal place to uh, to recharge. It could be multiple places. And you also want to find something to do while the car is charging. Now, we may, in, and I've read some, some, uh, some, some really interesting reports that in a couple of years, we may get it down to 10-minute charging for electric vehicles. In that case, it would be, you know, an enough to go get a cup of coffee and, and drive on. At the moment, of course, it still takes significantly longer. So a lot of people will be asking themselves, first of all, can I reserve a spot so when I get to the charging station, I don't have to wait in line for two hours? Uh, and, and and ideally also have an, a very easy payment method where I can maybe even pay from the car or do it uh, you know, via an app. Um, but but also they need to they want to find out what I can do in that uh, in that place where I'm uh, where I'm charging. So uh, and and you know if you're driving into a city, then parking and charging and navigation, all that becomes a part of one integrated experience. Because not only do I know I want to get to a certain restaurant or or location, I also want to make sure I can I can park, I can charge, uh, and you know therefore that that whole experience becomes uh, um, uh, becomes one. And it's difficult to do that on a phone because you need to have access to the car systems. I need to know what my battery uh, is, what my performance is, and that allows you to give a much better experience. So I'm convinced that the OEM should be able to create an, an, uh, an experience, an infotainment experience that is uh, better than um, uh, CarPlay or, or Android Auto. But uh, at the moment, yeah, it's, uh, as I say, it's a healthy, healthy challenge. One of the other things, you know, having worked in the car industry for a long time like you, is while they're big companies, in some ways they're not big on the scale of Apple or Google or, or Amazon in terms of there are a lot of car companies. They have their tens of millions of cars sold or maybe even hundreds or, you know, whatever. But Apple and Google, they're like in the billion, <laughs> in the billion, in the billions. And one of the conversation threads I've had with a bunch of people is like, who are the players? And you actually hit them really well. Yeah, there's the car companies. And the way I characterize it, the car companies, they are at the center. They need to provide connectivity and driver data and guidance as to what experiences they want in the car. But they're not in a position to drive the creation of this service. They just aren't built that way. It's not their DNA. The Apples and Amazons and others are very focused on selling their devices. They're not really focused on solving the car, but they want to be as disruptive as they can be in the car to help them sell more devices. The carriers and others, they play an interesting role. I mean, and they, they could solve this or they could just profit from it because everybody's going to get connected. 
I think there's a gap of who's going to fill that service provider role, that captivate role, that JC deco role. And I, I don't think there's a natural player in it because I think it needs to combine a lot of things. And that's sort of the quest here of this podcast is to figure out who are those players and, you know, where can they come from? Yeah, well, uh, we talked about the different players earlier, but, I th- you know, just to, go to to dive a little bit deeper into the telecommunications companies, I think, uh, as you say, they they are very important uh, uh, in, in the overall mix here. And I think a challenge with a lot of the telecommunications companies is a lot of their DNA is around connectivity. Uh, that's what they're good at. They're good at managing devices. They're good at providing connectivity. Uh, but I think what's required here is more than that. It's really becoming true service providers. And of course, they've been through an experience before where a lot of the uh, over-the-top players captured uh, most of the the value, and they ended up just being providing connectivity. And that's uh, there's a risk of that happening again, where all they're doing is putting the uh, the four or five G SIM cards into the car, and that's it. Whereas I think those telecommunications companies, again with edge computing capability have the opportunity to do much, much more. Our guest on Talking to Drive has been Bart Swearman of Here Technologies. I'm John McLeod, and I welcome your thoughts. Drop me a line at drive, D-R-I-V-E, at rivet360.com. Talking to Drive is produced by Rivet360, a technology and production company that's excited about what's next for people, places, and things.